You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Well, good morning again, church. Man, awesome singing this morning. That song basically is today's message, so you are dismissed. (laughs) No, I'm not letting you off that easy. You know, this past week, I, I came across a story of a gardener Uh, for a large estate in northern Italy who was giving a tour through the castle and its beautiful, well-groomed grounds. And as the visitor had lunch with the gardener and his wife, he commended them for the beautiful way that they were keeping up the gardens. And so he asked, by the way, when was the last time the owner was there? And the gardener replied, about 10 years ago. And so the visitor asked, well, then why do you keep the gardens up in such immaculate and lovely manner? And the gardener replied, because I'm expecting him to return. And, and, and the visitor said, well, is he coming next week? And the gardener answered, I don't know when he's coming, but I'm expecting him today. You know, church, this story illustrates what should be the attitude of every believer, right? I don't know when Christ is coming, but I'm expecting him today. Because when we have an attitude of expectancy for his arrival, it causes us to be ready for it, to live differently. In fact, that's what Jesus calls us to in Matthew 24, 44. He said, therefore, you must, what? Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, if you're just joining us today, is the uh, second sermon in our new sermon series entitled, What Lies Ahead? Which is a study on what scripture teaches concerning the events surrounding the return of Christ and the end times. Last week, we began by looking at the attitudes and behaviors that will characterize the days leading up to Christ's return, all of which, by the way, are strikingly similar to what we're seeing in today's society. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, this is what we worked through last week. Let me just kind of catch you up. The Apostle Paul wrote this, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Sound familiar? You see, last week we learned that when these evil characteristics become more prevalent in our world, it's an indication that the Lord's return may be imminent. Therefore, we must be ready. Well, this morning, as we continue our series on the end times, we're going to take a deeper look at the return of Christ by looking at the next big event in the timeline of end times events. It's a glorious event that all believers should be watching for and waiting for and working for with expectancy because it could happen at any moment. This event is the first of two phases in the second coming of Christ, and we call this event the rapture. And in today's study, we're going to take a deeper look at the events surrounding the rapture and the implications it has for you and I today. And in doing so, we're going to be reminded of an important truth to remember, and it's this. The rapture of the church is reason to rejoice. You know, friends, when we talk about end times messages, there's a lot of doom and gloom involved with end times stuff, but not for believers, not for the church. 
It's reason to rejoice. And, and, and so this morning, it's my, my hope that you guys leave here with some hope this morning uh, concerning Christ's return. So if you will, open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, it's page 987 in the Pew Bible in front of you. And as you're turning there, I'm going to ask God's blessing on our time uh, as we hop into his word today. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the opportunity to, Lord, enter your word and, and just open it up, God, and allow your Holy Spirit to do what your Holy Spirit does best. Father, I pray that I would get out of the way, and God, that you would just speak to us through the truths of your word. Lord, as we sit here, anxiously awaiting your return, God, help us to, to be ready. May you find us ready for your arrival. Lord, teach us something new today or refresh our minds of things that maybe we haven't thought of in a while, but maybe leave here closer to Jesus than when we arrived. And all God's people said, amen. So now, before we jump into today's passage, let me just provide a bit of context as to what's happening in this letter. The Apostle Paul wrote to believers in Thessalonica to challenge and correct some of the moral carelessness that had entered the church. You see, the church was becoming a bit apathetic in their behavior and faithfulness to the Lord. And then on the flip side, for those who did remain faithful, they were suffering for their commitment to Christ. And so Paul set out to encourage all believers, the whole gamut of believers, to stay strong and remain faithful, especially given that Christ could return at any moment. And so he also cleared up some confusion as to what happens to believers who have died before Christ returns, and what happens to believers who are alive when Christ returns. And so it's with this context that we're going to enter into today's passage. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Let's read the whole passage, and then we'll break it down. It says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You know, church, a number of years ago, retired NASA engineer Edgar C. Wisnant wrote a book entitled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Yep. This book, which was self-published, by the way, placed the expected date of the rapture sometime between September 11th and September 13th, of 1988, and it became a massive bestseller. By the end of the year, more than 4.5 million copies have been sold. Wisnant was so certain that he had the date right that he said, and I quote, only if the Bible is an error (laughs) am I wrong. And I say that to every preacher in town. Clearly, the dude was a man of great confidence, right? Well, church, unless we all missed it, 1988 has come and gone, and there was no rapture. But Wisnett didn't give up, however. He later wrote books predicting the rapture would be in 1989, 1993, and again in 1994. And as you can imagine, those books did not sell nearly as well as the first copy. 
Nevertheless, he kept on making failed predictions. And he's not the only one. I mean, over the years, we've had many failed doomsday predictions. Most notably, the one I remember the most is Harold Camping back in 2011, uh, predicting the rapture was going to happen then. Now, I've said it before, and I'll I'll say it again. If you come across a date setter, somebody that says the end of the world is going to be on this day or this hour, do yourself a favor and run fast in the opposite direction. They're weirdos, and they're wrong. Because Scripture is clear that we're not to know the day or the hour of Christ's return. But what we do know for sure, 100% certainty, you ready for this? I'm going to make a statement this morning. What we do know for sure, 100%, is Christ will return. And when he does, it will be rapid and without warning. And so found within today's passage are three factors concerning what we call the rapture of the church. So let's begin by looking at the first, and it's this, the reality of the rapture. Look again at verses 13 and 14. Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, let's just take a pause there briefly. You know, there's this old saying, ignorance is bliss, which basically means that if you don't know about something, you're not going to worry about it, right? And while this may be true in principle, the consequences of living in ignorance can be painful. And so Paul understood how dangerous ignorance could be in the life of a Christian, which is why he did not want the Thessalonians to be uninformed. Dr. Tony Evans notes, an ignorant Christian can be a hopeless Christian. And as sure as the wrong doctrine leads to wrong beliefs, wrong beliefs lead to wrong living. And so he wanted to clear up Uh, any confusion about their wrong beliefs. So before even getting into the details of the rapture, Paul begins by clarifying some confusion the church had concerning those who have died. You see, apparently they were very worried that their departed loved ones were maybe trapped in the grave and would miss out on the rapture and being in the presence of Christ. But you see, they had a faulty understanding about what happens after we die, what happens to a believer after we die. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be, read this with me, away from the body and at home with the Lord. You know, here Paul answers, you know, the million-dollar question. There's a lot of people wondering, what happens to, to me after I die? What happens to us after we die? Well, if you're a believer, Paul answers it right here. The moment when a believer dies, their soul is brought into the presence of Jesus. And when Jesus returns, those who are already in his presence will come back with him. So all this to say, we need not worry about our loved ones who have gone on before us. Because if they knew the Lord, we can be confident they are alive with him in heaven, even as I speak. And one day, we will be reunited with them in eternity forever. If you're with me, say, preach on. So after clearing up their confusion, Paul continued by giving a summary of the events surrounding the rapture. So he says, okay, listen, guys, your loved ones are in heaven. They're with the Lord. When the Lord comes back, they're coming with them. Everything's okay. And so now he gets into some of the details uh, surrounding the rapture, verses 15 through 17. He says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel, 
And with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. There it is. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. You know, church, in, on August 23rd of 2011, I was attending a conference in Washington, D.C., when all of a sudden the building I was in started to shake. And, and I was in this building with about 20 other guys and, and, and our previous pastor, Pastor Terry. You guys know Terry. And so we're in this building, and, and the building started to shake, and no one knows what is going on. And so as the building was shaking for about 20 seconds, I did what any young, respectable 27-year-old would do in a situation like that. I ran past the old guys and I got out the door. Because I know what's going on. I think Terry just sat in his seat the whole time. Now, as it turned out, a magnitude 5.8 earthquake struck about 90 miles southwest of Washington, D.C. But here's the deal. I'm from Troop, Pennsylvania. We deal with potholes. We do not deal with earthquakes. And I'll be honest, in those few moments of running out the building, I really thought Jesus was returning. I don't know what was going on. I never experienced anything like that before. But in hindsight, I should have known better because the Lord didn't shout, and the archangel didn't speak, and the trumpet didn't sound. But nevertheless, in that moment, I thought it was the end of the world as we know it, and I didn't feel fine. So what exactly is the rapture? Well, again, the rapture is the first of two phases in the second coming of Christ. During this phase, Christ will appear in the clouds and remove all believers from the world before pouring out his righteous judgment on the earth. First, the bodies of those who died believing in Christ will suddenly be resurrected from their graves. It's going to be wild to meet their souls in the air. This is what Paul was referring to when he said the dead in Christ will rise first. And then following this miraculous resurrection, believers who are still alive during this time will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So church, as you can imagine, the rapture is going to be pretty, pretty wild. And when all is said and done, we will literally be walking on cloud nine. Now just for the record, you might want to stay clear of me if we happen to be alive when the rapture happens because I have every intention of getting up there first and and if you're next to me we may have to throw down on our way up you know what I'm saying like I'm going to pull you down because I want to be up in those clouds first I digress listen to what Paul wrote in a parallel passage of the rapture in 1 Corinthians 15 I love what he says here 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. Read this with me. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown, for for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. Be transformed. You see, church, at the rapture, not only are we going to be taken up to be with Christ, but our earthly bodies will be transformed into glorified bodies, bodies that are very similar to those of Jesus Christ, which means you don't need to exercise because you're getting a new body anyway. You know what I'm saying? But now look at what Philippians 3, 20 verses 21 says. You better exercise. Don't listen. Don't take that one and run. That'll be the emails I get tomorrow. You say we shouldn't exercise. All right, so anyway, look at this. Philippians 3. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will do what? Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. All this to say, for believers, the events surrounding the rapture are going to be awesome. Awesome. Now you might be wondering, okay, I'm tracking with you. But if the Lord is only coming back for believers, what's going to happen to the world and all those that are left behind? Well, church, that's where things get a bit dicey. Because immediately following the rapture, there's going to be unprecedented calamity. Dr. David Jeremiah wrote, Jumbo jets plummet to earth as they no longer have a pilot at the controls. Driverless buses and trains and subways and cars will cause unimaginable disaster. Classrooms will suddenly be without teachers. Doctors and nurses seem to abandon their patients in the middle of surgical operations. And patients will vanish from their operating tables. Children disappear from their beds. People run through the streets looking for missing family members who were there just moments ago. Panic grips every household, city, and country. And church, this is only the beginning. That's only the beginning. That's like immediately following the rapture, right? In fact, the chaos that immediately follows the rapture is going to pale in comparison to the tribulations to come. Which is why the Lord, in his great love for his bride, the church, is gracious to spare us from this judgment. And this leads us to the second factor concerning the rapture of the church, the reason for the rapture. Look at, uh, this is actually going to turn to Revelation. You don't have to turn there. The verse will be on the screen. But Revelation 3.10, it says this. Because you have kept my word, and this is Christ speaking to the church, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. You see, in October 2007, 350,000 homes were evacuated in Southern California as 16 simultaneous fires swept through the community. And in all, about 1 million Californians were evacuated. But church, the purpose for this mass evacuation was to avoid horrific devastation. Well, in the same way, the rapture is essentially an evacuation of all Christians before horrific devastation enters our world. Concerning the tribulation period, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21 through 22, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. Now in a few weeks, we're going to talk more in depth about the details of the tribulation period. Scripture speaks extensively on it. But the point is this, for today the point is this, God wants to spare you from ever having to endure it. And if you're properly prepared, you will be spared. Which of course begs the question, what? How can I be prepared? How can I be prepared? If you're wondering the answer to this question, listen closely. Because I'm going to give it to you. The primary way to be prepared 
is to be sure that you're saved. Since the rapture is an event for believers, you want to make sure that you are one. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five through 26, says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Friends, this is the single most important question you will ever answer in this life. There is no more important question than this one. Because it has eternal implications. You know, the the Bible teaches that, that God loves you and has a plan for your life. But the problem is that our sin, which is rebellion against God and his ways, separates us from him. And apart from a Savior, the consequences of our sin is an eternity apart from God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. However, in his great love for us, God sent Jesus to die in our place so that we might have an opportunity to be saved from the wages of our sin. Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because Christ died and rose again and is now seated in heaven, he provides an opportunity for you and for me to have our sins forgiven and be with him in heaven for eternity. Again, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's what it comes down to. Friend, if you want to be sure that you're saved, if you want to be sure that you're rapture ready, then you need to admit that you're a sinner and believe that Christ died for your sins and ask for his forgiveness and trust in him and him alone for your salvation. And when you do, you can be sure that you will be caught up and not caught off guard when he returns. Romans 10.13 says it best, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, when I was a teenager, I called upon the name of the Lord. I was about 17, 18 years old. Everything I'm sharing with you was shared with me. And it's like the light bulbs clicked on. And I remember sitting in the car with my buddy, and he led me to Christ. Changed my life forever. Friend, if, if, if your heart is softened to the gospel right now, let me just encourage you to trust Jesus. You'll never regret it. You'll never live to regret trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't harden your heart. Because again, Christ could come back today. And this leads us to the third factor concerning the rapture of the church, the response to the rapture. I love what Paul says in verse 18. He says, therefore, he gets done explaining everything. He says, therefore, read this with me nice and loud. Encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. You know, church, everyone has a worldview which guides how they perceive life. And their worldview directly impacts their attitudes and their actions towards life, right? And here's what I found. I found that most worldviews can be easily determined by how someone responds to this one simple question. It doesn't matter what you say you believe. All that matters is how you live it out, right? You could say you believe whatever you want, but you've got to show me, right? So here's the deal. 
I think everyone's worldview can be summed down to one question, your response to this one question. Is the glass half empty or is it half full? What else do you need but that? Because church, a believer's glass should never be half empty. Should never be half empty. And I say this to my own shame. Because it doesn't take long for me to go negative. You know? Especially when I observe the prevalence of evil in today's society. But the more and more I study scripture, the more and more I see that negativity has no place, zero place in the Christian life. Because if we truly maintain a biblical worldview, we have more than enough reasons to be encouraged. And as we've seen in today's passage, believers have a sure hope that no matter how bad things get this side of heaven, that when we die, we will be reunited with our loved ones who have gone on before us, and we will be in heaven forever, where there's no tears, mourning, crying, or pain. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, All praise to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And look at it. Now we live with what? Great expectation. Great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is what? Kept in heaven for you. Pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And we've also seen in today's passage that no matter how bad things get this side of heaven, and they're going to get bad. I mean, they're just going to get bad. There will come a day, maybe even today, when Jesus will come back and take all living believers to be with him. And you know what? He's a God who keeps his promises. This is just to fulfill a promise that Jesus made to his disciples in John 14, 1 through 3. He said this, let not your hearts be troubled. Let that sink in, church. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why? In a gentleness and tenderness that only Jesus can, he says, believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, here it is, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So church, the next big event is good news for those who believe. Therefore, instead of having a gloom and doom attitude toward life, we should take confidence in the salvation we have in Christ and encourage one another with the blessed assurance of his return. How about it? And this leads us back to today's truth to remember. The rapture of the church is reason to rejoice. And so in closing, let me encourage you. We don't know when Christ is coming back. But we should be expecting him today, right? And he should find us ready for his arrival. For those of you who haven't placed your faith in Christ, don't put it off any longer. Listen, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not even guaranteed the rest of the day today. But we are guaranteed eternal life if we place our faith in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And for those of us who already believe, which I'm assuming is probably the majority of us in this room, let's be sure that when Christ returns, he finds us faithful in our watching and in our waiting and in our working 
for him. Hebrews 10.23 says it best. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Amen? We call the praise team forward and let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the next big event, according to your word, when you're going to come back, Lord, and you're going to take us to be with you and to be with our family and friends and loved ones who believed in you and have gone on before us to be reunited with them and in your presence forever and ever and ever. Lord Jesus, we seek justice. You're going to bring it. We seek an end to evil. It's going to happen. Lord, we we desire rest and peace in our souls, and you're going to provide all of that. And so, God, while we wait for your arrival, help us to do what you've called us to do, to live for you, to be the light, to give you glory. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com. 